It was also great to have the sun with us this week, wasn't it? It's kind of this already not yet kind of thing where spring sprung and, you know, today it's just pulled back a little bit. But uh, it was in this time it was like, wow, it's going to be okay. Here comes the spring, the bloom of the flowers. And in that moment there was this part and I thought, well, it's, it's time we can actually start thinking about summer vacation, right? And so we have, we, we, we're getting through winter, even in New England, and we started thinking summer vacation plans. Some of you may well and truly be there. You might have started that at the beginning of winter just to get to this point now. Well, well done. But I looked and I love this part of planning for a trip. And, and, and for me, when I, when I look at um, travel websites or, or books, I want to see images and, and not just text on a page. I, I'm, I'm a visual person. I want to be able to, to look um, and, to, and to see what, what is it going to be like when I get there. Uh, who will be there? Um, how, how will it feel? What are, what are some things that w- would mark this place? I want to look forward to it. That's part of the anticipation of this vacation. And so I, so I want images. We've been uh, working our way through uh, Hebrews, this great sermon uh, by an early preacher to, to a Christian community. And, and one, of the, um, one of the marks of, of this sermon is this travel language. It's this, it's this journey, this sojourning people, a p- pilgrimage, um, a, a, a walking, a draw near. A, and last week, uh, where we left off, there was even this uh, analogy of like running a race. But oh, we're going somewhere a, as a community. And in a passage today in, in chapter 12, uh, the second part, verses 18 uh, through to 29. There's a a shift here from this sojourning and travel to this point where all of a sudden seem to have arrived. And so we're going to look uh, in this uh, part of the text. There's two parts. He starts off by saying, well, look, here's the destination that you haven't come to, but here's the destination you have come to. We're going to look at those two. And and then as has been his pattern all the way through uh, the, the sermon, he follows it up with a warning in response to that. So two destinations and, and a warning. So if you have your scriptures, we're going to work our way uh, through that, starting from, and the, the first place he starts off is, is where they haven't come to. No, no, maybe picture this like a, a, a guidebook, or um, I mean, if you're a, an, uh, a visual person like me, you, you want to close your eyes and just imagine the imagery, because it's, it's some of this, his most... Um, graphic language. It's, it's beautiful the way he, he builds the picture up. So you want to close your eyes and picture this scene, uh, this destination. If you're more of a list person and, and organized more than visual, you might want to think of it like a, a BuzzFeed list or um, one of those trip advisors or something with you know, seven top things. Uh, he's going to give us uh, seven descriptors of this place they haven't come to. He says, for you have not come to, to what may be touched, uh, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I, I, I tremble with fear. That's some graphic language. Five very clear images. It's a 
darkness, fire, tempest, as well as that image, if, if we would listen, sound, what sights and we've seen the sights, what sort of sounds would be in this, in this destination, which is the one that we're arriving at. You know, this sharp trumpet sound, sound of like judgment and this, this voice that was terrifying. And like any good um, travel blog or, or list, we even get to use a reference here, a testimony. And Moses said, I was terrified. I trembled. I'll get his quote improperly. He didn't leave a, a star rating. Um, maybe in his, his trembling we can allow him that. But I think just reading this, maybe there's, there's darkness and the, and the terror um, the, the sound of you know, seeming pending judgment of, of, of guilt within this, and maybe put him down for a one star um, there. And, you know, maybe I look at this place, I'm not sure this is the place I want to really, really go to, I'm not drawn to, and um, maybe it should come with a travel advisory warning as well. Uh, maybe we could get that down on there. But he says, well, look, you, this isn't the place that you've arrived at, uh, which is good. And he says, now he says, well, where have they arrived? we go through it again, he's going to match seven descriptions of where they have arrived, contrasted to the seven where they were. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. No longer exile in the wilderness, but in the new heavens and the new earth. And he says, the second, that the into innumerable angels in festal gathering. We're picturing this scene, this no longer exile, no wilderness, but this new heavens and new earth, and this festal gathering of angels. And the word he uses there, uh, it would have been used uh, in that time, maybe for those great sporting gatherings, um, like the Olympics or something. To picture that, that there's this great joyous gathering where people from every nation, tribe, and tongue gathered together in this joyous feast. That sounds more appealing. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. See, earlier on, he described Jesus as the firstborn of new creation in, in the singular. And now here, in Christ, those uh, in partnership with him in response, firstborn plural. Those, he, he's been a great trailblazer, has paved the way. Now others who are part of this new creation. To the judge of all. See, this time maybe instead of an impending doom of judgment, this sense here that for those gathered with this judge, they might be judged righteous, um, before those who would persecute them. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Remember the list back in, in Hebrews 11, those great people who journeyed and have been walking in faith, some um, to triumph, but many to, um, to, to terror and, and to struggle. And there's these people that have been brought to perfection. Now these people in Christ's moment standing have reached their true end, wholeness and, and, and full humanity, standing there in this great new destination. And to Jesus, 
the mediator of a new covenant. To Jesus is one that the whole sermon's been about saying, Jesus, the the most full word of God, the expression of, of God's being in word, this one, this great mediator who is greater than the angels and above Moses and look to him, we're, we're told this one who has made a way for us to draw near. The picture, one, one thing we could look at a text like this and we could fall into a mistake and say, well, that was the Old Testament God. My goodness, he is terrifying. Uh, I'm glad we've been saved from that God by this Jesus. And that, that's not what's going on here. No, the holiness of God, the awe of God, the majesty of God, that is still there. The problem was, was sin, and we have this mediator, Jesus, who has made a way for us to draw near. And that was the whole middle part of the sermon. That was the whole part we remember in, in Good Friday, and Easter Saturday at the vigil, and Easter Sunday, and we proclaim, here is one who has gone before, who has brought the new covenant, who has conquered sin and death, brought forth life from the dead and new creation. The one who has made a way for us to draw near what had previously been inaccessible to us. This Jesus, the one he's been talking about and saying, look to, look to, look to, this wonderful one, and when we get here, this destination we have arrived, Jesus is there, this great mediator, and what we had left, uh, made untouchable, couldn't draw near to. All of a sudden, this is gracious invite and welcome to come in Jesus. And in the last part, this seventh description, my page switched over, that's why I couldn't find it, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Let me read that again. To, to Jesus, the, the mediator of a better covenant, a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel was killed by Cain, and his, his blood cried out to God for judgment. His blood bore witness to Cain's guilt. And Christ's blood, on the other hand, it cries out for and bears witness to our forgiveness. The great blessings of this new covenant, the presence of God, the forgiveness of sins. And here, every Sunday, we remember that, and in particular, in this Easter season, we proclaim that. Sin and death has been conquered. The blood that cried out for, for guilt and our judgment, the blood of Christ now cries out, you're forgiven. Draw near. How does that image of this destination that we've been welcomed into sound this morning? If you're an image person, did, did you capture the, the, the relational aspect of that? There's this great feast and banquet, there's this joy that we're invited into. If you're a list person and you look down these seven points of this destination and like a trip advisor thing, what rung out? Did you feel that desire to step into that as a great destination that would get you through your winters, through the darkness and through spring? I wonder as, as we reflect on that and we think and say, you have not arrived here, but you've arrived here. And as we're, we're gathered as these people, invited in to participate in this in, in Christ, and we gathered here this morning, what does that do to our worship? What 
would we be marked by in response? I look at that and think, boy, in response to that is, is people who have received this destination. Marked by gracious hospitality. This incredible welcome that we've received. We now respond and, and join in likewise and say, hey, welcome. This incredible joy marked out by the angels of those who have gone before and, and through persecution and struggle and, and, and trial, finding wholeness in this true end and, and full humanity in Christ. Marked with joy and received by grace. One of the things I, I, I love about the way we embody and celebrate the Eastertide season is this 50 days of feasting. You know, like 40 days of Lent. And then we gather together to declare and embody, not just in this theological understanding that we've got that, that Jesus is Lord and, and new creation is broken in, but we embody it together by gathering in homes around the city that mark this, this festal banquet. Every Sunday we gather together and the Lord meets us at his table and invites us by his grace through Jesus. And he says, be with me. And we sing songs of praise and marked by joy, even in the midst of our darkness and our struggles and the realities of, of what's gone on through the week. We, we look forward to this, this coming great kingdom. And we're marked by it. We try to celebrate that every other week with, with meals together. And I say as we think about this uh, lives as well, and we think of our own homes, this great opportunity to, to embody this future um, destination in our homes as places of welcome, of grace, of joyous hospitality and, and feasting. This is where we've arrived at. This is where we're going. I wonder what this means for, um, for our evangelism as well. When we're sharing this good news, is it marked more fully by the, the, the first destination, the one that's unapproachable and um, trumpet sounding in, in, in despair? Or is it marked by this, this gracious invitation by this king putting on a banquet? The proclamation of Jesus, uh, the one who has made a way for us to draw near, the one whose blood cries out and proclaims our forgiveness. Is it marked by that? Do we, do we see it? This is, this is where we've arrived. Come join. Celebrate. and feel good about that. I suggest we can. He does go on, though, and we, we could leave it there. You kind of think, well, that would be a great place to end. And, and, and he doesn't, as he hasn't uh, through the rest of the sermon either. He comes back with a warning. And, and he says, well, in light of this, he says, well, see that you do not refuse him who's speaking. The speaking has been the mark of the sermon. He says, through many times and in many ways, God has spoken, and now he's spoken most fully through his son, Jesus Christ, as God who speaks. He's saying, if this is the speaking, listen, pay attention. And there's a warning that comes through. He says, for, he's speaking, for, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. Who's they? It's the, the wilderness generation that he's been referring to earlier. Walking through, and if God spoke to them, and if they um, were judged by God that speaks on earth, well, how much more in this, this fuller um, expression of the word in Jesus, if we refuse this invitation and, and our King Jesus, 
who's seated on the throne and is the firstborn of, of new creation, then, then we, we shouldn't think we would get away either. God is speaking this great invitation. Don't, don't reject it. And he goes on, he quotes from, um, from Haggai. He says, well, at this time the, um, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. He says, this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. This idea of shaking, it's, it's, it's this king comes and establishes this great kingdom. Anything that stands opposed, anything that uh, goes against the, the way of this king and this way of life will be cleared out, purified. It will be removed. And there's a sense in which we, we, we need that sense of judgment. We need justice. We need evil to be taken care of. We need it put right. And we desire that. He said, look, one day when King Jesus returns, the world will be put in its right way. Have confidence in that. Stay firm. Pursue the things of the kingdom. And then he says, well, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let us seek this kingdom that's unshakable versus the things that will be perishing and will disappear and be taken away. I think that I just want to, as we focus our attention on this, what might that be like? And I want to draw our attention to, to two examples. In some ways, they're described in the negative, in the warning, and our gospel reading today from, from Matthew. We again get this picture of this gracious king preparing this incredible banquet, this great feast, a place of hospitality and invite. He says the, the invite has gone out as it has to us and, and the people refuse it. Why, why do they refuse this incredible place of welcome and feast of, of the true king? The ways of the world, the, the preoccupations of, of things that are temporal. In this case, it was to, to a farm or, or to business. He's not saying there's anything wrong with those things either. But it's at the, at the, to put them above the invitation of the king or the word of the king, to, to reject that, it's problematic. I mean, Luke um, shares that same story as well. What are those things that when we're, we're welcome into the life of the kingdom that distract us, that we invest in, that won't remain. There's a second part. Um, I, I hadn't noticed it before. I'm more familiar with, with Luke's expression of the story. But in, in Matthew's one, this is a little piece at the end as well. And Not only do, do some uh, just reject the invitation, and, and note there that then he says, go out again, just go out to the highways and the byways, to the sick, to the lame, people that you wouldn't even expect to be welcomed, people like me. And with respect, people like you. We get a, a, a welcome as well into this, this creator of the universe. We're welcomed into it. He says, go out and, and let's fill this place, will you? Fill this feast. And some reject, but then there's an, another person. And notice that he even gets told, friend, 
is, again, Jesus saying, friend, but he's saying, why are you wearing your own clothes? Someone that's, it doesn't sound like he's um, treating with reverence or awe or, or worship this person. The context, if, I mean, you imagine if someone was um, on the, you know, up on the, the byways and the, and the highways, well, to get an invitation, we, we wouldn't have clothes fit for a king. But in that time, the host would have offered uh, fitting clothes for that person to wear. And there's a sense, well, uh, this person has come in and thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll accept the invitation, but look, I'll, I'll, I'll come here in my own righteousness, in my, in my own clothes, and without that reverence and all, I, I won't accept the, the basis on which I can come. And so he gets cast out. We receive the invitation, we receive the means in which we come of grace, not our own merits. And we pursue those things higher than even the other values and the other things that we can pursue that'll fade. I want to just lastly look at one other example, just an individual. I think we can allow us to really think about this person. And he's referred to Esau in just a couple of paragraphs earlier uh, in this section of text. To Esau, who, who sold his inheritance for a bowl of soup. Sold the incredible blessings of God, the great promises of the kingdom, for a single serving of soup. It could have been incredible soup. It could have been Ryan Knowles made. I mean, it could be the sort of soup that maybe one day we'll have in the kingdom. It could have been that good. But to, to give up the invitation of the king and the kingdom for one single serving of soup? Gives it up. And he says, well, I'm about to, to die anyway, so I might as well have that. And in Genesis, the writer says, and he, and he despised the inheritance. Where are we settling for a single serving of soup in our lives? For the perishable stuff that won't remain? Focusing on tasks that aren't the priorities of, of King Jesus. The desires of the flesh. When Esau came in, he must have been starving. He'd been out all day. I can understand that that feeling of hunger, that temporal need, where do we settle for that? Things that, that feel good and uh, we'll take and say, oh, well, it'll, it'll be okay. And the point is, when we take a look, he's saying, look, in light of this destination, and it's, it's grace that encourages the people to endurance here. And so what I want you to hear this morning is it's this grace, this picture of this destination, there's great images, there's great list of to-do points, this invitation to a festive, gracious invitation, this promised kingdom that one day the Lord Jesus will return and the earth and the heavens will be as they were created to be. Endure. Fix our eyes on those things. Be about the priorities of God. Be about his work. But the warning, whatever we do, in light of this great unshakable kingdom that we're inheriting, don't Settle for a single serving of soup.